Last Sunday, we launched a new series for Advent that we will continue today and we will wrap up next Sunday. But we've entitled this series, Matthew's Jesus. Typically, during the Advent season, we look at the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in particular because they record for us the birth and the early years of Jesus's life and ministry. And each Gospel records the narrative of Jesus's life, but each gospel writer uh, takes a different perspective or angle. They might record stories that other gospel writers don't, and that's why we need all four gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they paint a complete picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus. But for this Advent, we're looking particularly at Jesus' birth through the lens of the Gospel writer Matthew. And for this morning, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Last week, we looked at the end of Matthew chapter 1, and we saw how Jesus was portrayed by the Gospel of Matthew, the, the, the author, as the one who has come not to be controlled, but to be in control. The one that would not have authority over him, but the one who would have all authority under him. Uh, the one that would not name, that would not be named, but the one that would name us. And so we continue this story through the Gospel of Matthew by looking at this story of Jesus and the visit of the Magi. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, hear the word of our Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. The birth of a king can cause quite a stir. If you recall back in 2013, a little boy was born in England, but it was no ordinary boy. 
William and Kate gave birth to their firstborn child, but it was the future king. And if you remember in 2013, people from all around the world were talking about a baby boy was born, but this baby boy would someday and one day be a king. They tracked the internet and the social media boards just that day in 2013, and they said when the birth was announced that people were posting something on social media, 25,000 posts per minute. When the first public appearance of the baby boy was presented to the public, that was being posted 20,000 times per minute. People sent their well wishes from all around the world, dignitaries and presidents and, and royalty from all around the world. It was as if the world stopped to recognize that a king had been born. And that's exactly what we see here happening in Matthew chapter 2. This is no ordinary boy that has been born. But thousands of miles away, word is reaching to the, what was known, the known world at the time, to the far corners of the known world at the time. Word was spreading that a king had been born, the king of the Jews that had been promised. And Matthew captures, in my opinion, in Matthew chapter 2, a very appropriate response to the birth of a king. Oh, holy night that we sang here at our Christmas concert on Friday, I think captures it best. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. And when they see the king, what does O holy night say? Fall on your knees. That is the appropriate response when you're in the presence of the king. And that's what the wise men did, the magi did here in Matthew chapter 2. They see the newborn king and what does it cause them to do? He appears to them and they can't help but fall on their knees. Well, Matthew tells the story of this child born to be the king. And I want to ask this question this morning. Is he your king? Is this child that was born 2,000 years ago your king this morning? Let's look at this passage together. The first thing that I want us to see is I want us to ask the question, who, who is looking for the king? Who are the individuals that are looking for the king upon his, upon his birth? Well, in verse 1 that we read, that when Jesus was born, wise men, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he that was born king of the Jews? These wise men were known historically to be called what? Magi. It was the Magi that were looking for Jesus, the King. Well, let me clear up a few things that I think have crept into maybe our Christmas tradition. Yes, they were wise men. They were called Magi and they came from the East. They weren't kings. They actually served the kings. See, these were individuals that served the highest officials in their country, kings and rulers. They were the, the, the men that were called to interpret dreams, to offer counsel. They were in the highest courts of their land, and they would counsel and give advice and interpret dreams to the kings. So they weren't kings themselves, they were servants of the king. 
And it's very important as we unpack this story tonight. More than likely, also, there weren't just three. Nowhere in the story does it say there were three wise men or three magi. We get the number three from the three gifts that they give, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But more than likely, there was a whole entourage, maybe even numbering in the hundreds that have come to be with these magi to worship and to pay homage to the king. They were wise court officials that counseled the royalty, skilled in philosophy and astronomy. But all of that is not what's most shocking. What is most shocking about the visit of the magi, the wise men, to go see this newborn king is where did they come from? These wise men, these magi, came from Arabia. They came from the east, which meant what? That they were Gentiles. What is most shocking about who is first looking for the king of the Jews is it's not that the Jews that are first seeking the king, it is the Gentiles that are seeking the king of the Jews. Think about the irony and the shock of that. It is the Jews that want nothing to do with the king who was born king of the Jews, but it is the Gentiles that have been told their entire life that they are not like the Jews. They are not the chosen people. They are not the chosen race. And it is them, the people that have been cast out, That's most shocking of all. It's them, the Gentiles, the Magi, that are seeking the King of the Jews. You see, it was these Magi, these Gentiles, it's why it's so shocking when we understand who was actually seeking the King, leaving their family, leaving their comfort. Some historians tell us that they might have had to travel thousands of miles through tough and dangerous terrain. Think about that. People that have been told their whole life that they are not chosen, that they are outcasts in society, willing to risk their lives to pay homage to the King of the Jews. And make no mistake about it, Matthew, as I mentioned last week, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And make no mistake about it that Matthew is trying to instigate here. He is stirring the pot. And what Matthew is trying to tell his Jewish audience is the Gentiles seek him and you want nothing to do with him. The Gentiles travel thousands of miles and you in Jerusalem won't even pay attention to this child who was born king of the Jews. It's the Gentiles that are flocking to worship and what? And the religious could have cared less. It was those in society that were considered unclean and irreligious that were flocking to the king of the Jews. While the religious of the day those considered themselves clean and holy and worthy and chosen, ignored. You see, the great physician comes for who? The great physician comes to gather the sick. The great shepherd comes to do what? To seek and save the lost. A little earlier in the story, who was it that the angels first appeared to? It wasn't the royalty or the dignitaries or the elite of the society. It was to the shepherds. Do you see the theme of the Gospel of Matthew? It's the shepherds, the lowest caste of the society. The shepherds were such of a low caste and so disregarded in society, their testimony would never even hold up in a court of of law. They were considered liars and outcasts. 
the degenerates of society. Do you see the themes of the Gospel of Matthew? When we ask the question, who is the one seeking the king, the king that has come to be born king of the Jews? It is the irreligious, it is the unclean, it's the Gentiles and the shepherds. And unfortunately, sometimes if we're not careful, church can even be like this as well. We can become very content with who's in our inner circle. We can be very content with who's in the inner crowd. And as soon as somebody comes in that's not like us, we go, who invited them? Who invited her? Who invited him? You see, what this story should remind us is this, that God's guest list is nothing like ours. God's guest list involves shepherds and Gentiles, the irreligious and the unclean. It should make us wake up and think about who actually was seeking the King of the Jews. And until we actually wake up and realize that when we look in the mirror, that we are just like those shepherds, just like the unclean, just like the irreligious, but for what? But for the grace of God. It's interesting when we think about who is looking for the king of the Jews, uh, who else is looking on? Who gets this? Who, who kind of has a wake-up call, you could call it? Well, it's King Herod. In verse 3, what happens? When all of these people start to come from the Gentile lands, King Herod wakes up. And he says, who is this? Who is this that they've come to seek? And why does this get King Herod's attention? Because he's the king. And if somebody else is claiming to be the king, that could be a problem. It makes King Herod wake up and go, if he's the king, then what does that make me? You see, the king is not fond. The king is never fond of someone else announcing that they are the king. But you know what lives in every single one of us? King Herod. There's a King Herod in every single one of us. And when we think about our lives, we think about it this way. If we're really honest, we think about Jesus coming into our lives and we would love our relationship with Jesus to be like this. Jesus, I'm going to put you on retainer. And you'll be my counselor. You'll be my friend. I'll come to you for advice, but I will come to you when I need you. So if I can have you on retainer, if you can kind of just be right there when I get in trouble or I need you the most, then I'll ask from you. But we never ask, if we're all honest, for Jesus to truly be the king. Because deep down inside, if we're all honest, we want to be the king. But Jesus says, if anyone follows after me, he must deny himself. And Jesus does not come into the world as we read on the gospel story. Jesus does not come into the world to just be the king of the Jews. But by the Gentiles coming, by the wise men coming, the magi coming, it is announcing to the world that this child will not just be the king of the Jews, but he will be the king of the Jews and the Gentiles. He will be the king of the entire world. Let earth receive her king. Do you think when we sing that at Christmas that the world has any idea what they're singing? The earth receiving their king. I once heard of a college student who said, who was an atheist, eventually converted to Christianity. They asked him, what was so attractive about atheism? He said, before I wanted atheism to be true because then I could do anything I wanted. You see, it's only the atheist that totally denies the existence of God that can say, I can live my life however I want. 
But it is the person that embraces Jesus as not only their Savior, but must embrace him as Lord, that says, I am no longer the king. King Harry can no longer live inside of me, but there is a new king. If Jesus is the king this morning, then we can only sing this line, take my life and let it be. Who's looking for the king? The unwanted of society. But they understood that this king must become king of all. Second thing I want us to look at is what happens when they eventually find him. When the Gentiles find him, when the Magi find Jesus the king. Skip all the way down to verse 11. What is their response? Verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child, and what happened? They fall down and worship They fall down and worship. That is the response when we come into the presence of a king. And what do they do? They open up their gifts. They give him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Some say that myrrh these days would have cost $10,000 a bottle. But what is the image that we see here? That they say, all of the riches, all of my wealth, everything I have no longer belongs to me. You see, the proper response, the only response when we come into the presence of the true king is we say, not only, Jesus, are you now the king of my life, but now everything I have belongs to you. You have my life, you have my time, you have my wealth, you have my resources. The, the magi were saying the, great, the greatest and the best that we have owned and we possessed no longer can belong to us because you are the true king. They fall down and worship and they present him with their gifts and with their wealth. But not only do they respond in that way, in verse 12, it says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, what happened? They departed to their own country by another way. Their other response we see is that they completely and totally submit their lives to Jesus. You see, not returning to Herod could have cost them their lives. But they made a conscious decision and they said, no, if he is the king, we will bow down and worship him. We will give him everything we own and we will no longer listen to King Herod because King Herod is not the true king, but Jesus the Christ is the true king of my life and he is owed all of my devotion and all of my allegiance and my life. When my king tells me what to do, I simply do it. And this makes King Herod angry. But I often say that at least King Herod was angry. It's a better response than most churchgoers in North America who are simply just bored and apathetic with the thought of Christianity. At least for King Herod, it caused him to become angry and, and um, bitter at the thought of somebody taking his rightful place and rightful throne. But when we see the King of the Jews, when we see Jesus as the King... It should cause us such a stir of emotion that we fall down and worship, that we say, Jesus, everything I own is now yours because you are the rightful owner, including my life. I now submit my life to you. And then lastly, not only do we see who is seeking this king, Not only do we see what happens when you find the king, what a proper response should be when we encounter the king, but we have to ask the question, why this king? What makes this king so special? Why do we follow this king? 
There's many people and many things that fight for our attention and our affection and our hearts and our lives. Why does this king that was born 2,000 years ago require all of our devotion and all of our allegiance? Well, the answer is found in the gifts. Back in verse 11, they present him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold makes sense. The gold was a gift that was appropriate for royalty. The frankincense even makes sense. It was given to those that would be a priest on behalf of the people of God. It recognized that this person had come from God, that this person is divine. The gift that doesn't make sense, but made sense to the Magi was the myrrh. What was myrrh? Myrrh was used to embalm a dead body. And so when they present not only gold and frankincense, but burr, more than likely Mary and Joseph were highly offended with this gift. You bring a gift that was reserved for dead people to my newborn baby boy. But you see, this is why they were able to follow this king. Because the Magi understood the scriptures to read that this baby boy who would one day be a king was a child that was born to die. You see, it was actually the most appropriate gift for this child because this child would grow up eventually saying, you will take my life so my people will live forever. You see, it is the gift of myrrh that awakens them to understand that this child will come to lay down his life eventually for them. And this morning I ask you, have you followed this king? This king that was born not to live so that his subjects would die, but this child that was born to be a king that would eventually lay down his life so that you could live forever. He was the baby and the child that was born to die. And when that captures your heart and you understand that that is why Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, you cannot help but say, He is my King too. I will go to the ends of the earth for this King because He laid down His life for me. You see, in this story that we read this morning, there is a star and there's brightness over the, over the child's birth. But fast forward to the end of his life, there is no star. There is just darkness. You see, the miracle of Christmas is this, that Jesus exchanged the, the light of the star with the darkness of the world so that we could forever have the light of heaven. And that light of heaven can be yours this morning. You see, every king that it was ever born always says to his subjects, you will show me loyalty this way if you are willing to lay down your life for me. All kings say to their subjects, show me allegiance and loyalty by laying down your life for me. But this king says no. He says to his subjects, I will lay down my life for you so that you could live forever. Do you know this king? Every Sunday, in one way, shape, or form, we offer an invitation here at Coral Ridge because we believe it's the most important invitation that you will ever receive. 
Just this past week, we lost a legend and a hero in the faith. R.C. Sproul went to be with Jesus on Thursday. And one of my favorite quotes from R.C. Sproul was this, that we enter heaven not with our own robes, but the robes of righteousness of someone else. If you do not have the robes of righteousness from the king that was born 2,000 years ago, there is no hope. But as I say every week, that if you believe in this Jesus, this Jesus that was born to die, God will give you the right to become a child of God. And I would pray that this morning would be a morning unlike any other morning that you would invite Jesus into your life. The scriptures say that unless a man is born again, he will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Have you been born anew by this king this morning? The king that laid down his life for you. A few years ago, we received story of a dad and mom and two girls that were traveling on vacation in the mountains of Washington. They got caught in a snowstorm, a actual blizzard, and they were stuck. They were stuck for days, no way to get, get out, not knowing when they would, how or where they would actually find rescue from. And after days of desperation and not knowing what would happen next or if they would ever get out of this snowstorm or be able to ever be rescued, the dad in a desperate moment said, we have no choice, you wait here and I will go search for rescue. And eventually digs his way out and he leaves his wife and two girls behind. What appears to be a cruel act of fate. Hours later, the mom and the two girls are rescued, but the dad is never to be found again. What would ever be the consolation for those two girls and that mom? What would ever be able to console that family? with what appears to be such a cruel act of fate. It's this, that they would forever remember that man as the man that was willing to risk his life so that they might live. What would ever cause you to follow Jesus the King? There's only one thing. When you know that that King, 2,000 years ago, laid down his life for you. Just a few moments, we are going to celebrate communion together. And I want you to remember this, that when you go to this table and you eat from this table and you receive from this table, it is the table of the king. And it is a victory table. It is a table of celebration. But it is not the king saying, I have been victorious by asking my subjects to lay down their life for me. It is a victory table because Jesus says, the king, I have laid down my life for you. So I pray that you would receive his broken body and poured out blood in the forms of bread and the cup this morning as a remembrance of the king, unlike any other king, the king of kings and, world of, and lord of lords, the king unlike this world has ever seen. And so when we sing this Christmas season, what child is this? How could this child be true? We can sing along, what child is this? 
So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, and bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary.